Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Start to rewrite the stories, and they go, we did that. And then they go further to say, not only do we do that, but these other gods that we found in the land, these detestable gods that the Canaanites had, they started to worship them. And then God's hand of blessing comes off of Israel, and it invigorates and empowers their enemies that come and take them as slaves. Now, once they're slaves, guess what they do? You never pray better than when you're in crisis, correct? Anybody know what that feels like? And they cry out to God, and God hears their cry of, of repentance, and so he sends a champion to deliver them, and that person is called a judge, and that's what the book of Judges is all about. So it's constantly them going, and, and then once the judge is there, then they follow God for a time, and, and then now all of a sudden, guess what? As they follow God, God's blessing comes back on them, and they start to prosper, and guess what happens? When the judge dies, and while they're in prosperity, they forget God, and the cycle continues. You get the idea? Then God's hand of blessing comes off, and then the enemies are invigorated to come and get them, and then they go back into slavery, and then guess what they do? They cry out to God, and he turns to judge. And it's, it's, this cycles for several hundred years. And then you reach the time of the kings, and I don't have time for that today. That's even worse. We'll go to that another time. Okay, so Judges chapter 4 is where we pick up today. And um, so, so we've already covered a few judges, Judges one, 1, chapter 1, 2, 3, and now chapter 4. Verse 1 says this, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now, now that Ehud was dead. Now you're probably going, who is Ehud? <laughs> Ehud was a judge. And so when the judge died, they started to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. They started worshiping these other idols, just like I said. So, verse 2, So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Now what it means by he sold them, it means that his hand of blessing comes off of them, and now they become slaves to the Canaanites. Remember what I told you about the Canaanites? What are the Canaanites doing there? You know why the Canaanites are there? Because they didn't get them out. When you don't do what God's calling you to do, when you don't do the difficult thing, oftentimes, and let me tell you, this really applies. This is, this is very much a side note, but it's maybe should be a main note. When you enable people, that's what you do. And you make it worse. And you later on, you're going to go, these same people you think you're helping, you're going to come back and it's going to kick you in the teeth. And this is what happens to them, okay? So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hirosha. And I'm not going to say this next word, just because you guys are going to make fun of me. I've been trying to say it forever, but I'm not even going to try. Okay? So it starts with an H. You figure it out. If you're a Hebrew scholar, come tell me about it. Um, or just use your Bible app and read it to you. Okay? <laughs> All right, you get the idea. There's some difficult words in this Bible. Verse 3. <laughs> Because he had 900 chariots, this is Cicero, the, 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 the commander of, of Canaan. He had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And they cried out to the Lord for help. You see the cycle continuing? So one of the things you need to understand militarily about them is this, is that the Canaanites were valley dwellers. Okay? That's why they had chariots. That's they where chariots don't work. In the mountains. You're going up the side of a mountain with trees, chariots are pretty much rendered meaningless. 
But when you go down in the valley, they ruled the valley. You get the idea? Now, that's why the Israelites, I don't know if you know this, but the Israelites are mountain dwellers. And so every time, especially in the Psalms, you'll see this a lot, where David will say, I look to the mountain. I look up. My eyes are looking to the mountain of God. Because why? Because they're mountain dwellers. And so when they get in trouble, guess what they do? They head for the hills. That's kind of where you get that stand. Get it? And they, and they find their refuge in the hills. But they couldn't hear because this army had taken them captive. And every time they come to the valley, they're getting beat up. And they're slaves. And they're having to do this. And so they cried out to God. And God raises up another judge. And that's what we want to talk about today. Okay? So Judges 4, verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Labadah, you can't even imagine how long it took me to say that, was, was leading Israel at that time. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Now i got to tell you, this, this passage, what we're going to cover today is very short in the Bible. That's why I can almost skip over it. You can almost miss this just tucked away going, okay, Deborah's a prophet. Deborah's the wife of this guy who you can't hardly say his name. Um, Deborah led Israel. Not a big deal. Let me tell you why it is. You can circle a couple words. Prophet. Let me explain what that means. When you're a prophet, a lot of people say, as a pastor, they go, wouldn't you like to be a prophet? And the answer for me is, absolutely not. Not in a million years. Can I tell you something about prophets? Number one, they have to give the worst news possible. <laughs> They're usually coming to tell you when God's going to destroy you. That's, that's, that's what a prophet normally does. So you're giving a really bad message. Okay? People hate you for that. Number two, you have to be right 100% of the time. Okay? That's what makes a prophet a prophet, is they're never wrong because they're hearing from God, and the only words they're saying, the reason why they're never wrong isn't because of them, because they're not so great, because they're listening to God and they're giving the word of God. So when you hear people... Anyway, we'll go to that another time. But when you hear false prophets and they repackage their books over and over and over, <laughs> let me just tell you, they're not a prophet from God because prophets are not wrong. So she's right. 100% of all her prophecies came true. That's a fact. Okay? The other thing I want you to see about her, and this is the part we want to focus on today, you know what she did? She led Israel. Now, I can't tell you how big of a deal that is because she lived in a society that was patriarchal. I can't even say the word. I'm losing it today. It means men ruled society. In fact, women didn't even have a place in their society. They were down with the cattle, you get it? or they called them chattel, because they sold them. Okay? And I want you to see, this is tucked away in the Old Testament. In the seventh book of the Old Testament, we find a passage of a lady who not only that God, here's what I want you to see, that God elevates, every, every time you turn around, God elevates the status of women. I don't know what you've been taught, because I know I've been taught lots of things, and I've heard lots of things, and we had, when, when I was at another church, we had a big debate over, and, and maybe this is very controversial, and that's why I really didn't want to get into it, very controversial, men's roles, women's roles, and, and we, we all sat down, a bunch of pastors sat down, we also had a lawyer that was on the board, and the lawyer came in with all the documentation over all these thousands of years of people debating what's the men's roles, women's roles, and he came in because he's a lawyer, so he took it from a lawyer's standpoint. And he printed out everything, and he had these binders. I mean, like multiple binders, like thick binders like this, of all the information about it. And we all said, I have no idea what the right answer is, but we believe whatever he does, because we don't want to read all that stuff, you know? And so, so it's one of those things that I say, hey, it can be very hard, and I'm not here today to necessarily debate men's roles, women's roles, but here's what I am here to say. If you can find this here, where God is elevating the status of women, 
I need to tell you something. The, the first lesson that I take from the life of Deborah is this, that girls can be heroes. Okay? Can we say that? Is that okay to say? Because here's what I see, and I think we come from lots of different backgrounds, and I think this could very easily be the, a message that goes, hey, let's just get all controversial. That's not my point. But I think there's some people that have been told some things, and I think they see in our society that it's true. But I do think they've been taught by the church, and some people have said, hey, you know what, women are allowed to be abused. And I've seen this. Women are allowed to be abused because of some scripture that somebody used. That there's some scripture that's been tortured and taken out of context that they said, hey, women can't do that. And women can't be used by God like men can. They're not as good as men, men are. And I've heard that. And, and I've seen the opposite come true, too. Where all of a sudden women feel like, especially in our society, where women feel like, hey, because they've been oppressed, now they need to become not women. They don't need to live their life out as a great woman of God, but now they need to become a man and live every bit as much of a man and I am woman, hear me roar kind of stuff. <laughs> and neither one of them are correct perspectives. God has a perspective. And number one, you can put it up on the screen if you want, Neil, because I want them right now. Heroes can be girls. God has selected Deborah to, to be a prophet and a judge. And I just want to cover that because I don't know that most people, some people in the room are going, John, I don't even think you're answering questions nobody's asking. <laughs> but I think there's somebody here today that maybe comes from a background that goes, you know what, I kind of heard that, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I just want to cover just a couple of scriptures to make sure we take them in context. If you want to know what the Bible means by what it says, watch what people do in the Bible. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, watch what he did. If you want to know what the Apostle Paul meant by what he wrote, watch what he did, okay? And so a lot of times people say, hey, well, doesn't the Apostle Paul in the Bible, doesn't he even say women should remain silent in the church? Which I think is awesome. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to get stoned to death today. Nobody's even laughing here. You're really serious people today. I'm joking. We covered that in First Corinthians. Yeah, I'm outnumbered. I'm done, okay? <laughs> But you have to understand what he meant. He really meant, hey, don't, don't yell across the church to somebody and try to do that. Be quiet while you're learning. And if, you, and if you're, you're uneducated, don't speak up in the church. He certainly didn't mean that they couldn't speak. Okay? And the reason why I'm saying that is because I think some people have been taught. You can't, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to have a role of leadership. You're not supposed to have a role. And God couldn't possibly use someone like that. Yet Paul commended several women to lead. He commended Phoebe, who was a prophet, and a leader in the church. So if you want to know what he meant by what he said, watch what he did. Jesus many times commended women. In fact, the people that found him in the tomb were women. That was unheard of to use that. Uh, he selected Miriam to lead in Israel, Moses' sister. He selected Deborah to lead. Mary, the mother of Jesus, did many miraculous things. There's so many women that are used in a time period where women were pushed down. God elevates the status of women. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I believe with all my heart that there's roles for men and women. I, I believe that God has called the man to be the head of the home, and, and you can't take anything away from that. I do think you need to look at what it means, though. And it certainly has never meant that women are to be abused. And it certainly has never meant that women are not to be used by God. And I want to make sure today that no one leaves here today going, you know what, I thought I could be used by God, but what I learned from the church was that women can't be used by God, that only men can. That's what I want to, I want to dismiss that myth today. And I want to use a script, passage of Scripture today that maybe will help you. Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says this, So in Christ Jesus you were 
all children of God through faith. Um, this isn't just about women. You know what it says here? It says you are all, through Christ, if you're, if you're found in Christ, you are all children of God in faith. Now, in the Greek, you know what all means? Anybody want to say it? Yeah, all. I just want to make sure I'm clear, because when we get to this next part, some people might struggle with where, where, where it goes next. Okay? Galatians 3.27 says this, For all, circle it, for all of you have been baptized into Christ. Have clothed yourself with, with Christ. For all who have been baptized are in Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. What it means is, is that you don't, you don't have righteousness of yourself. God wraps you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you again, all here means all. Okay. Nobody, has, nobody really has a problem with understanding that, hopefully. But verse 28, this is where it gets sketchy for a lot of people. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. It means at the foot of the cross, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. What it means is this. It means at the foot of the cross, when you come to faith in Christ, that Jews are not better than Gentiles. And Gentiles are not better than Jews. We are all the same in Christ. Now, I don't know what you've been told. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going around that, that these are God's chosen people and everybody else is second-class citizens. And I've got to tell you that if you want to know what, what, what the Apostle Paul meant by what he said, watch what he did. And here's what he wrote in the book of Galatians. And he said, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. You know what it means? It means it doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter what your economical status is. Is. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. A lot of people are slaves because of what they've done. But at the foot of the cross, God can redeem all people and bring them to him. And it doesn't matter if you're slave or free. Here's the part that I want you to see today, and I want you to underline. Nor is there male or female. So at the foot of the cross, it doesn't mean, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't mean that now you're genderless. <laughs> That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that men are not supposed to act like men. There's a whole passage of Scripture that talks about that, and I'd like to share that just for you guys that wear skinny jeans. Please stop. <laughs> just always wanted to say that, okay? I don't know where that comes from, but men can be men and women can be women, and you get messed up when you go, hey, you, you know, women shouldn't act like women and men shouldn't act like men. There's whole passages of Scriptures that cover that, okay? <laughs> but it means this. It means... That what the Apostle Paul is writing, and a lot of people have said, hey, the Apostle Paul is a bigot. The reason why I don't follow God is because some of the things that Paul said were difficult for me to understand, so therefore I took it out of context, and I only read one letter from the Paul, and now it says that women can't be used by God. Well, can I tell you something? Paul wrote this letter to, Galatia, to the Galatian church. And you know what it says? That he said, there's neither male nor female. You know what that means? That women are not better than men. And men are not better than women. That we're all equal at the foot of the cross. You talk about equality. At the foot of the cross, God brings all things back. Now, what roles you fulfill, please don't take that as meaning. That means that just because you're the head of the home doesn't make you better. Get it? And just because you're, you're a woman doesn't make you better. Because I've, I've seen the pendulum swing where now all of a sudden it is all men are bad and all women are good, and so therefore if you're a man, you must be bad. That's wrong, too. You get it? At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. And what I want to tell you is this. At the foot of the cross, that means girls, too. You get it? For all are one in Christ Jesus. Not Jew or Gentile, not slave or free, not 
men or women, we're all the same at the foot of the cross, which is absolutely awesome. And God brings it back together. And I think that's such an important principle. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. And we'll pick up on this another day. Let me tell you what that means. Jesus started this argument with the, with the Pharisees when he said to them, he said, you say you're sons of Abraham because you were born sons of Abraham, right? And I tell you, you're not. You can read this in the book of Matthew. And he looks at the Pharisees and they get mad. They get so mad because they understand exactly what he's saying. And they said, you say we're not sons of Abraham. We were born descendants. And they get angry and they pick up stones and they want to stone him to death. You know that? And he looks at them and he says, yeah, I tell you. And not only that, but I tell you, there's other people that were not born through the line of Abraham that will be Abraham's son. You know why? Because Abraham was justified by faith. And when you're justified by faith, when you come to the foot of the cross, then you're every bit as much a son of Abraham as someone born in that lineage. That's what it's saying right here. Now, I'm not, I'm not arguing this. This is what the Bible is clearly saying. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are heirs with Jesus Christ because he wraps you in that. And that is for men and women alike. And what I want you to understand today is this, is that girls can be heroes too. That God has a plan for your life. And if you're here today and somebody told you that God can't use you, or somebody used scripture and tortured it to abuse you, and said that's okay, and you had to sit in church, and I've heard this story told a thousand times over, that I sat in church with these people that used the scripture, and they made me come to church while they're abusing me. Let me tell you something. That has never been God's intention. There's no excuse for it. There's no reason for it. And God can use women too, and he can reconcile you, and it's absolutely amazing what God can do in a life. So don't you let anybody tell you that God can't use you, whether you're male, female, Jew, Gentile, whatever it is. So that's lesson number one. Girls can be heroes. Number two, okay? Number two. Well, we're not going to get to number two yet. This is a side note. The other thing I want you to see about Deborah, and I think this is a very important piece to the life of Deborah, Deborah was not selected by God. Deborah was not a hero because she was awesome. And, and, and there's a reason why I want to say this. And I actually want you to write it down and think about it. Deborah was not selected by God because she was awesome. She was selected by God because she was available. Now, I think that might require a little bit of explanation, but I think it's important. Because some people are thinking, I can't serve God because I don't have the gifts. And the reason why Deborah could do this is because she was an awesome person with extraordinary abilities, and that's simply not true. The reason why Deborah could do this is because she was available to God. Now, here's one thing. I, I, I want to just dismiss this part right up front. There are some people that, that say this line, and, and they mean something different about it. They say, you know what, God's not interested in your abilities, which is true. He's interested in your availability. And I, and I agree with that to a point. Where I don't agree with it is this, is when people take it to the extreme, and now that means that you don't prepare to use the gifts that God's given you. That's oftentimes what they mean. Well, I'm available to use gifts that I don't have, one, and so now it's just a horrible thing to watch people use gifts they don't have and say, well, I'm available, so I should be able to use it. Put me in, coach. I can't play the game, but put me in, okay? That's not what it's teaching at all, okay? It means to do the best you can with what you got, but sometimes your best isn't enough. You ever been there? And I think there's some people in the room today going, I, my best isn't good enough, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just not playing the game. Now, I learned something with my, my son. Oh, he's here, so I better be careful. Sorry. I didn't see you over there. That's okay. Um, <laughs> when he was little, 
And, and that is, have you ever started playing catch with a little kid? And, and what you learn is, is that you throw them the ball, and you know how to play, right? And they don't. And so the first time you throw them the ball, you're like, hey, this is really going to be fun. You throw them the ball. And what does it do? It hits them right in the face, right? And you're like, wow, what are you doing, right? What do you say? Put your hands up, right? Uh, and, you know, the best thing you do to catch the ball, now you're not, you don't have the motor skills for it. Why? It took him a while. You know, he's just learning now. No, I'm just playing. And this would be a great story if that was a softball, but it was a baseball. And so it's like, hey, oh, ooh, you know. Okay. Sorry, what? What do you say? Put your hands up, right? Just put your hands up. You might not even catch it, but you're definitely not. Here's, why you, here's how you're not, never going to catch the ball. Can I tell you how that is? If you don't put your hands up. Now, you may or may not catch the ball if you got your hands up. But the odds increasingly, it, it goes increasingly in your favor when you got your hands up. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people going, you know what, I don't know how to catch the ball. I don't have the motor skills for it. I don't know what to do with this. And so I've got my hands in my pocket, and they're constantly getting hit in the face. And they're going, why doesn't God do anything? And he's going, you know what I need you to do? I need you to put your hands up. That's what I mean. You know what Deborah did? She had her hands up. She was ready to play the game. She was ready to do what God wanted to do. Let me tell you something. A lot of people are waiting to see their own ability. That's not how God works. If you look in every single story we've covered in this series, can I tell you what it was? God used what was in their hand. Is that right? With David, he used a sling. Anybody think a sling killed the giant? But he used what was in David's hand. You get it? Because David had his hands up. You know who parted the Red Sea? Anybody think that the fact that Moses had a staff, that, that today we're going to learn how to part the Red Sea with a staff? Anybody think that's going to happen? No. But let me tell you something. Moses, but he used Moses. You know how he used Moses? Every time, Moses had to show up, and he had to use what was in his hand, and he was available, and he stretched out his hand, and he parted the Red Sea. Now, God didn't need that staff, but he was doing it in the life of Moses. When the little kid came with Jesus, remember, and, and he fed the 5,000 people with two loaves and five fishes. Anybody think that's going to do it? No, but he used what was in his hand. Because why? Because he had his hands up. You know who wasn't used that day? The people going, it can't be done. Can I be honest with you? You know who's never going to be a hero? The ones that are saying it can't be done. You know what ladies aren't going to be able to be used? The ones that have believed the lie of Satan that says you can't be used because they've tortured the scriptures to say God can't use you. Okay? You know who's not going to do it? It's the men that are living in absolute and utter fear because they see the circumstances and they can't believe God for it. Let me tell you something. Deborah wasn't God's hero because she was awesome. She wasn't God's hero because she had some special supernatural ability. She had... She was a hero because she had her hands up. Get the idea? Okay. That's just, that's just, I just want to make sure you knew that. Verse 6. Here's what she did. She knew about this oppression. She was ruling over Israel. She was the leader. And she sent for Barak. Now, you want me to call him, there's two ways to say this. Can we call him Barak or Barak? <laughs> Do we want to get political? I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, that's all I'll say to that. Okay. She sent for Barak, son of Abinadom. <laughs> Calm down, it's okay. We can say Barack, Barack. Or Barack. It's okay to say Barack in church. All right. She sent Barak, son of Abnon, from Kadesh into Naphtali and, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabar. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, this is God, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, I want you to pay attention to this part because here's what I want you to understand. Who is calling him to do that? God. 
Now, this isn't Deborah coming up with a plan. Remember, Deborah is a prophet, and she's saying, the Lord is saying to do this. Now, how many times has Deborah been right? Or she wouldn't be a prophet, trust me. As a woman prophet leading, unbelievable. Well, trust me, she was right, yeah, all the time. And Barak knew she was right. Barak respected her as a leader. But here's what Barak said, and I want you to see it. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. That's great. That would be great if he stopped right there. He would be a great general if he had stopped right there. But here's what he says next. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Hmm. And I see a principle here that needs to be covered. And i got to tell you, when I covered this passage of Scripture, I thought, this is just tucked away. This is just obscure passage of Scripture. But as I looked at it, I went, this is so applicable to where we're at today. Number one, girls can be heroes. That's a lesson from the life of Deborah. Number two, there's a challenge for the men found right here. This doesn't sound like a big deal, but he's saying, I need you to come with me. Now, now why is that, Barak? Did you not know that God is calling you to do it? Yep, I knew that. Did you not know that he's actually saying it? Yes, I believe that. But I need you to go with me because I don't have enough faith in God to do this on my own. And there's a challenge here, I believe, for the men. You know what it is? We're not going to like it. Man up. And I want to explain what that means, okay? Girls can be heroes. Number two, there's a challenge to men found here as well, and it means man up. You see, she was the leader. She did her part. She said what God was telling her to say, and he was the commander of the army. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying about Barak. He was a tough guy. He had seen combat. He was part of Israel when they were taking as slaves, so he understands what it is and the horrors of war. He's, not, he's a war battle soldier and be happy to die on the field. But what he saw was 900 chariots, and he's going, I, I don't understand how that can work. I hear you say that God says this, but I'm struggling with this. And it's a struggle that I see among men where we are, especially in our culture. So like I said, I don't want to answer questions we're not asking, but I do want to answer a question in our culture. We kind of have, and I don't mean this in a racist way, but we kind of have a redneck culture, and I want to explain that for a minute. Okay? And, and it goes like this. I see it as a pastor. I never really knew how to describe it, so I'm just going to say it. Okay? That's, just, that's the kind of day it is. We'll be okay. The, the attitude is this. You know, my old lady kind of takes care of the religion thing. That's what I hear the most. Okay? It is. That's what I hear the most. If I were to say in this society, I, I came here thinking, I've got to prove the Bible, I've got to be intellectual, and I go, no, 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 no. They, they, they'll come to me, you know what? I believe in a good book. I believe in the Lord. I believe in all that stuff. But you, you know what? My wife kind of takes care of that side of it. I don't know a lot about it. I go to work. I provide. I'm a good provider. I do all these things. But, but the religious stuff, I just kind of let her take care of that. Oh, and I'll do you a favor every so often and show up for church. Now, not all the men here, if the shoe doesn't fit, please don't put it on your foot. You get the idea? Okay. You're going to be here. Are you offended me because I really did step up and I'm doing these things, and we see that, and I know we're doing some countercultural things. But in the culture where we're at, trust me when I tell you, that's what I see the most. And you know what God is saying? Man up. It, your God-given responsibility is for you to man up. And that's not saying that women can't lead and men have to always be the leader, or when you're married, the fact that you're the head of the home and your wife has natural leadership abilities that you don't empower her to do some of the leadership that she can do. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this. When you're, when you're taking a pass and you're going, you know what, I need you to do it for me, 
That's bad. And God is saying, hey, in a culture where we're all doing that, man up. Because I tell you, I would be really close to be doing, doing that myself. Oh, Marie knows that I don't, I'm not good with details. Just let her handle it. She knows all about the kids. She knows all about this stuff. And God is saying, no, 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 that doesn't work for me. And Barak was shrinking back. But I need to explain why, because maybe this is what a lot of men are facing. We don't like to say it. We're not big talkers about it. But the truth is, our society is discouraging us. It's pushing men down, and that's part of the problem, and I see it with Barak. You know why he was discouraged? If you read this account, here's what you're going to find. When they were going up against the Canaanites and she was saying, hey, go out and fight them, he was going, where is the rest of Israel? Only two tribes showed up out of 12. Now, when they first came into the Promised Land, they were a powerhouse. You get it? And all 12 tribes were united, and they all went together, and all the men fought the wars together. And now, all of a sudden, only two of the 12 tribes show up. And he's going, I'm sorry, I'm looking at things through a little bit different lens here, Deborah. I hear you saying all this God stuff, but what I'm seeing is that's not the society I live in anymore, and I'm discouraged. Can I tell you something about men in the room? I think there's a lot of men that are discouraged. And let me tell you what it means to man up. We've got to bind together, guys. You know how Barak was discouraged? There weren't a lot of men around him. <laughs> and next Saturday morning, we're having breakfast at Bunny's, and I'm going to ask you to come. And I don't think it's a small thing. And, well, I don't know if I want to get up that early. Let me tell you something. If you want to man up, we're going to have to get together. We have to come together, okay? Don't try to do this by yourself. Bring somebody. Some of the men that aren't here that are using that as an excuse, I want you to bring them, and I want us to start getting together. And there might be other things we can do and other connectors we can do, but we've got to connect if we want this to work. Man up. Verse 9, here's what Deborah says. Certainly I will go with you, she said. Deborah said. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went to Barak to Kadesh. Um, hmm. So Deborah told him like it was. Don't read more into it than it's there. But Deborah said, God will be with you, I will go with you, but the glory will belong to a little girl. Not Deborah, by the way. It's another girl. And so the person that got to kill, and you can read about it for yourself, it was a very disgusting way she got to kill Sisera, the commander of the army, but, but, but a little girl got to kill him because you didn't step up and be the man you need to be. You get it? Man up. Two perspectives here. Barak was looking, and it's just, this, is, this is something very important to understand. Barak was looking through the lens of logic. He's going, I only got two tribes. I've only got this much. I know God is saying, here's what he's saying. I know God is saying, but Barak had become very risk adverse because he was looking through human eyes. And Deborah, on the other hand, was looking through faith-filled eyes. She goes, God has done 100% of what he said he would do. And I believe him for it. And that was the difference. That's the difference between Barak and Deborah. This is not a man-woman thing, so you, you apply it where you do. It could be some women feel that way. It could be some men feel that way. But, but the point is, which way are you looking at life? If God is calling you to it, now you better make sure he's calling. Okay? You're going to go face 900 chariots of iron without God. You better make sure you got this right. But when God is speaking to you, and you know what God is calling you to do, don't doubt him in the moment where you go, this is impossible for me to do. Can I tell you something? Every story we've talked about is impossible, right? <laughs> David and Goliath, impossible. Feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves, right? Impossible. I can keep going if you want. Every time God uses somebody, it's impossible, because how does he get the glory from something 
That isn't impossible. He wants to use what you have in your hand. But if you get too logical here, I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss out what God is wanting to do in your life. All right. We're going to skip down to verse 14. As they make their way there, you can read the rest of the account for yourself. Then Deborah, when they got there, said to Barak, Go this day. The Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? You remember when we read that before? When did David praise God for giving him victory over Goliath? Before. When when did when did they when did they claim victory when when remember when Jehoshaphat was marching against them and, and, and the army hadn't even been destroyed and they go out there and they start praising God before he gives them the victory. I can keep going if you want, but over and over and over in the Bible, it, there's this time where they go, God has said this and we're believing Him and we're going to claim this victory before the battle takes place. And what does she say? I'm telling you, God has said this to you, Barak, and she's given him confidence and she's going. God has given us this victory. Go, and the Lord has the Lord has already went ahead of you. So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him, and he destroyed that army. And, and, and then the king, that Sisera was running. The commander of Canaan was running, and he went into a tent with a little girl, and she gave him some milk to drink, and he fell asleep, and she drove a tent peg through his head. I just wanted to share that. <laughs> That was gross, man. <laughs> telling you. But anyway, that's what happened. That's what happened. What I, what I want to point out here is this. Everybody's like stunned. That's that's sad. He gave him victory, and under the time of Deborah, they turned back to God. They were no longer slaves, and now God started to prosper them again. And the person who led the battle, you know who it was? Barak. Because Deborah did something. Number three. Number one, girls can be heroes. Number two, men, we need to man up. And number three, this is the this is such an important point, and I hope you get it today. The reason why Barak was able to win this victory was because Deborah stood in the gap for him. I don't know if you know what I mean. Deborah made it work. Now, I've seen this go the wrong way, and, and if you only took the first two points, you could take them way out of context. Girls are good, boys are bad. Get it? Put down the men, elevate the women, and be done with it. And if we did that, guess what? Deborah would be so great, and Israel would not have had a victory. Because God didn't use Deborah to win the victory. No, she used Barak. And you want to know why? Because she helped him. Now, she didn't have to. She could have said, you know what? I'm the leader of Israel. God has made me the prophet. I am woman. Hear me roar. Okay? She could have done that. But she didn't. You know what she did instead? She told him the truth. She confronted him, but then when the moment came, you know what she did? She built his confidence. And she stood in the gap for Barak, and it made all the difference in this world. That's what's able. When a woman of God chooses to stand in the gap for somebody and praise, now, now what this doesn't mean is, is this doesn't mean that you stand in the gap and allow people to abuse you. That's not what we're talking about. But he wasn't abusing her. He just didn't have confidence. And instead of her becoming part of the man-haters club, you ever met those people? Where they join this man-haters club and the women gather around beating their husbands up and just putting them down and it's so negative. Can I tell you something? God wants you to turn your membership into that club. Because if you don't, oh yeah, God will elevate you. And you know what? We'll never get there together and the victory won't be won. Because the victory was won with Barak. 
And the reason was because God used Deborah to stand in the gap for him, and now he was able to have the victory. And it's so clear in the story, and it's so clear in life that that's the way it is. And I want you to fast forward just a little bit so you can see what the results are when a woman or a man or whoever else stands in the gap. It's not just a woman thing, okay? When we just make it work, when we go, hey, you know what? This isn't fair. That's not my role, Barak. That's yours. So why do I have to go? You should go. You're not even a man. You get the idea? That's not what she did. God is with you, Barak. I believe in you, Barak. God believes in you, Barak. And yes, you made some mistakes. And yes, you're not looking through faith-filled eyes. But I'm going to help you with that today. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to hold you by the hand. And I'm going to take you there. And I'm going to believe in you in the battle. And when you get to the and you got the victory. Let me tell you what happened in the life of Barak. I want you to fast forward to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says this. And what more shall I say? Now, you don't know what this passage is. Maybe maybe you do. This is called the Faith Hall of Fame. All the greatest people in the acts of faith that are found in the Bible are found here. Okay? We fast forward, and, 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 and all the people, and it mentions all these incredible names and all these incredible acts that they do. And it says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Can I ask you a circle? Or actually, you don't have it, but go back and look it up. Barak, what is his name doing here? I thought he shrank. He did. But he's here. Why isn't, and I know some people are getting mad. They're going, wait a minute, why isn't her name here? Because he won the victory. Barak did. He had faith. Did you know that? Barak had faith. But I need to tell you why, because the only thing greater than your name being written in the Faith Hall of Fame, is the person who stood in the gap, and that's why he's there. That's what can happen. But as long as you hold on to resentment, as long as you go, you're stupid, and I'm smart, and you're bad, and I'm good, then, then you know what? Feel free. You'll build your kingdom, but not God's. And you've got a choice. You can either have your resentment, or you can build God's kingdom. But when you do what Deborah did, here's what happened. A man whose name was written in the Faith Hall of Fame. Did it get any better than that? Thousands of years later, it was written in the Faith Hall of Fame. That's what can happen when you stand in the gap. I'm going to ask somebody to come and share today. Um, it's a person who stood in the gap for me. And I'm going to ask her to come, and I asked her to come and share. Um, because when you start a church, i got to tell you, there's a lot of things you don't know. There's a lot of things that are chaotic. There's a lot of times you need somebody to stand in the gap. And the person that stood in the gap for me is um, Karen Castle. And I'm going to ask her to come and share her story with you. Thank you, Jim. All right. And I'm on to other. Wow, thank you, John. John challenged you men, right? Who do you think is going to challenge the other? That's right. Deborah was available. And when I saw that in John's notes, I said, she was available. What does that mean? And I thought, no, 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 what does that mean, why? 
Why was she available? She was available because she let God prepare her her whole life. She had her hands up because she was catching every preparation that he had for her. I am a child of the feminist movement. I come up through a family of three brothers, and boy, did I learn how to be competitive. But you know, there were some things that were good. Equal work, equal pay, equal education, equal opportunities. When I was a child, I ended up getting to be on one of the first recreational girls softball teams in my neighborhood. That was unheard of. What was really fun about that was we had to mow the, mow the grass in the field so we could play, and we had to put our own chalk lines down. And so I was being prepared. And I learned how to work. In high school, I was on an amazing basketball team. We had an amazing coach that could get you to do your very best. She was good at pulling out those things in each of us. We were the shortest team in the state, and yet we were in the state championship. I was a forward. That's how bad we were. I'm 5'4". But, you know, we earned our letters, and then the school told us, but you can't buy a jacket, put your letter on, because we don't sell them to the girls. We got a jacket. I was being prepared. And he was teaching me to fight. And then I was in college, and I was a part of a, a bunch of women that we just got together. We loved playing softball. And we ended up beating some of the schools around, and we weren't even an intercollegiate sport. Because at that time, Title IX said you had to have equal sports for men, equal sports for women. Our school decided that Title IX meant if I have nine sports for the men, then I have nine sports for the women. I'm not going to tell you what those sports were, but we didn't have a softball team, and we had to play as a club team. So we didn't get to go to nationals. And we had beat most of the people that won their division in nationals. We had beat them in a, in a tournament in D.C. More preparation. I learned equal really wasn't equal. And then I got married. And I started working at the shipyard. Yeah. It was a little outnumbered. First day of my apprenticeship, my instructor walks up to me and he says, just so you know, I make all my girl apprentices cry or quit. Okay. I didn't. Tough preparation for four years. I learned tenacity. A feminist. Yeah, what is that? You know, I've started noticing over the years that something had changed because equal to had started to become better than. 
It's not a good place to be. I love God so much, and I love him today. But I kept listening to that commercial in the back of my head that said, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan. It's a lie. So I thought to myself, and I, I went to the senior pastor at our church at the time, and I said, I think I'm a biblical feminist. What the heck is that? Not sure what that was. But I love to sing. And during those years, they, we were told flat out women cannot be worship leaders. Just not allowed. Okay. But I love to sing. And then God opened up a path. And they came to me and they said, would you consider being trained as a worship leader? And I'm going, heck yeah. <laughs> Preparation. Preparation. And I was called here. Butch will tell you. I looked at him when he told us, I think we're being called to New Branch. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still right here. But I was called to be a leader of this praise team, which is an amazing group of people. Intense preparation. And I learned God will make a way. That's the difference. Webster defines feminism as one who believes in the theory of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes. I don't have any problem with that. But we're spiritual. That's where my problem was. There was no foundation for what the word equal meant for me. So I decided it's got to be based on God's word. It has to be. Because if it isn't, then it's defined by this broken world. And when that happened, it came at the expense of our children. But let's get real. It definitely came at the expense of our men. You look at today's attitude toward men. It's sickening. Hollywood has made them out to be dumb, rude, gross, demanding. Husbands are stupid, lazy, and backward. Our young men are spoiled, possessive, violent, hopeless. Our brothers are useless and self-centered. Our fathers are clueless. It's our striving to this undefined equality really produced anything good. Ouch. Ladies, ouch. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to get good at encouraging each other, edifying each other, praying for each other, lifting each other up, because the bottom line is we're all on the same team. I want to go back to marriage for a second. Marriage is where it became intentional preparation. The series is on heroes, right? Let me introduce you to my hero. But you stand up. Thank you, sweetie. This is the man that God gave me as a gift to share my life with, to love, to encourage, to raise our children with. 
to pick each other up when life happens, to protect and to provide for a family. A godly man does not want a doormat, a servant, or a boss for a wife, mother, daughter, or sister. He wants somebody to cover him in prayer, to encourage him. He wants a godly wife who will help fend off the enemy, swinging at his back while he pushes forward, leading his family to their God-given destination. And I truly believe that when God puts a man and a woman together in marriage, that both of them had the same purpose all along. They were just different parts to that. And it will take both of you to accomplish it. That's the challenge. Ladies, we can hold any... We, how can we hold expectations for our men if we don't prepare for God's expectations and purpose for us? You are made by a God who loves you with a purpose. He knows you by name. You were never, ever an accident. His fingerprints are all over you. Your purpose is what God has been preparing you for. Your experiences, your talents, your gifts, the things that you are passionate about. Ask God. Pray to him. Talk to him. And then listen to him. It's time to get prepared. Why Deborah was available. Thank you, Karen. A lot of people have done that, what she's done, but I mean, she just means so much to me. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that. So here's where I'd like to end today. The verse found in Ezekiel, you can put that up. I'd like you to write this down, Ezekiel 22, verse 30. God is talking in the book of Ezekiel, and he says this, I look for someone among them who would build up the walls and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. He's looking for somebody to stand up and to pray for them and to do exactly what Deborah did. And I think the saddest words in the entire Bible were found here. It says, and I found no one, and he destroyed them. Let me let me say what I'm trying to say. There's a lot going on in our country today. I think he's saying, I'm looking around the United States of America today, and I'm trying to find somebody that would stand in the gap, somebody that would make it work. You get the idea of what I'm saying? Somebody that wouldn't just, hey, this is my right, but somebody that would stand in the gap and do what needs to be done to make this work. That's, that's why I asked Karen to come here today, because that's what she did for me. Lots of people have done that in the life of this church, where it's like some people just go way off, and they get crazy, and they get mad, and all this. But some people just go, you know what I need to do? I just need to help you make this thing work. And God is saying, would you help me make it work? And the results are this. When we stand in the gap, a person's name can be written in the, in the Faith Hall of Fame. Can I put it different? A name could be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, when you stand in the gap. Is that worth it? So my question for you today is this. Will you stand in the gap? Let's, let's stand for prayer.
Father God, we come before you today. I pray, God, that we were we were honest with the, with the whole counsel of your scripture today, and I pray that God, you just you, you help somebody here today. That maybe there's there's a lady here today that needed to hear that that somehow they took it that church was against women, and maybe they just turned their back on church. Maybe maybe they've been trapped in this thought process that said men can abuse women because the church the, the Bible says that, and it doesn't. Maybe maybe they're trapped because somebody told them they can't, but you're telling them that they can. And I just pray today, God, you empower them. I pray for the men, God, help us to step up and lead and do the things that you're calling us to do. And I pray for all of us, God, help us to stand in the gap and make this thing work because it's not perfect. Life isn't perfect, and we all don't do our roles correctly all the time. And in Christ, Lord, we need your power to fulfill your calling, and you're calling us to an incredible plan. And I believe we'll see somebody's name if we stand in this gap in the Lamb's Book of Life, meaning at the end of time, Lord, we'll see somebody that wouldn't have been in heaven there because we were able to get to be part of your amazing plan. That's our prayer, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If, guys, you need prayer today, please come and see us. For everybody else, God bless you. Have a great week.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.